That's the Pink Floyd, Arnold Lane. We're going back to the basement. This is uh, this is Monty. Uh, damn it! Hold on, I'm going back to like Monty's uh, uh, yeah, from Philly, and uh, we're going to do. Monty had suffered some hardships from uh, that hurricane that rolled through. It's like Philly. I, I don't know. That's just. That's crazy, and that's just uh, how that weather shit is just amazing. Monty, okay, uh, let's see. We got a song. We're going to do the second one under Butterflies in Heaven. Is that, can you dig that? Uh, so if you, if, you, if you do, in fact, look for thespacepoet.com. The song's called Butterflies in Heaven. Um, let's see.
Yes, yes, that's Elvis Costello. Uh, what is so funny about peace, love, and understanding? Uh, there's nothing, nothing funny about it. We're going back to the basement. Um, <clears throat> this is uh, uh, this is uh, Vincent Man music. If you dig this, look for him on SoundCloud or uh, her Vincent Man M A with two N's. Vincent Man from Philly. The song's called Electric Whispers. If you dig this, look for him on SoundCloud. Uh, Vincent Mann. See, I'm turning that. I've got that. I'm touching this. <laughs> yeah, I did. I touched it, all right. And um, the dots are going. It's considering my request.
Yeah, it's Neil Young, Cinnamon Girl. We're going back to the basement. This is... Uh, 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 this is Denbo 17, D-E-N-B-O 17. Uh, look for him on Reverb Nation or her. Uh, but um, I believe... Uh, looks, like looks like a guy. I'm going to go out on a limb. I'm saying Denbo is a gentleman. Um, let's see. I think I have played this before, but uh, I, I think slips through the cracks on my housekeeping. <laughs> I apologize. Sometimes I, I, you know, I don't get in. I don't get into the washroom. That day, Denbo, seventeen songs called interesting. Uh, let's see. I've got that. I'm touching this. Pause button comes back. It's considering my request. I'm not loaded with money or wine I've not much of anything Worth any time 
church and one day the axe just fell So I drifted down to New Orleans Where I lucky with a be employed Working for a while on a fishing boat Right outside of Delacroix But all the while I was alone The past was close behind I seen a lot of women But she never escaped my mind And I just grew Just kept looking at the side of her face in the spotlight so clear. And later on, when the crowd thinned out, I was just about to do the same. She was standing there in back of my chair. I said, Timmy, don't I know your name? I muttered something underneath my breath. She studied the lines of my face. I must admit, felt a little uneasy when she bent down to tie the laces of my shoes. I thought you'd never say hello, she said, you look like a silent type And she opened up a book of poems and handed it to me Written by an Italian poet from the 13th century Revolution in the air Then he started into dealing with slaves And something inside of him died She had to sell everything she owned And froze up inside And when it finally the bottom fell out I became withdrawn The only thing I knew how to do Was to keep on keeping on Like a bird that
Hey, it's been Bug on Square. Thanks for doing what you got to do to do. Uh, remember to be as, uh, you know, like you need fucking reminding to be a decent human being. If you do, help those who can.
the people that you see Follow me Follow me down Tell all the people that you see Set them free Follow me down You tell them they don't have to run We're gonna pick up The wonder at your feet Your life's complete Follow me down Can't you see me growing? Get your guns The time has come To follow me down Follow me across the sea Where milky babies seem to be Molded, flowing revelry the one that set them free Tell all the people that you see It's just me Really dance, really dance, really dance. I can really move, really move. 
Hey everybody, and welcome to the Weekly Review with Roman. Today happens to be Thursday, September 9th, recording a day early today. Uh, I'll be out tomorrow, but I wanted to uh, share some news and music with you all today. Thanks so much for tuning in. Start off with some music as we always do. 100,000 Fireflies by The Magnetic Fields, uh, followed by Aquarius, Let the Sun Shine In by The Fifth Dimension. And played those songs because uh, one of the singers from The Magnetic Fields... Uh, Susan Anway passed away recently, and for um, Aquarius, Let the Sun Shine In, which is such an amazing song, uh, there's a great documentary that I encourage folks to see if you haven't already called uh, Summer of Soul that is on Hulu, and uh, it's so, just so good. I don't have the right words for it, but just highly, highly recommend checking that out. And that was one of the performances, uh, the Fifth Dimension were one of the bands that were featured in that documentary and such a good great song um just feeling like ugh, uh it i mean that song almost seems uh like the opposite of uh all that's happening right now there's so much death and um just personally i've known a lot of folks who have lost people very recently like three people who have lost their parents so wanting to honor them um recently that is Lane and Jim and Don, um, folks who should still be here, and uh, it just seems so backwards that uh, we live in a world where so many people who have spent their time helping people are not here, yet uh, folks like Henry Kissinger are still alive, Rupert Murdoch and uh, Charles Koch, and like all these you know, war profiteers and people who have used their time on this planet to make things more difficult. For people and have uh, promoted a lot of hate and bigotry and cruelty and death and it just seems so backwards and I say that on the show all the time it just feels so disturbing it's what we're, what we're living in and also for Diana Deborah who recently passed away um, far too young and uh it was just, uh, it's, have, it's weird when you have like memories of people and it's like maybe only in passing, but just like a kind of essence or uh, kindness that they bring. And Diane brought that. And also a sense of humor. And I, it's just, it feels so, uh, just really sad. So that's kind of where I'm at right now mentally. Um, we'll be sharing some news stories of things that are happening, some things that are pretty egregious. Um, do this because it's important just to have an understanding of what is happening in the world and how we can push back against it to create a more equitable world where everyone uh, can feel safe. <laughs> it seems so far from the world that we're living in, though, right now, especially now. But I think it's it's possible. It's definitely possible. It's just a matter of what can be done to get us there. So we're broadcasting from Mutiny Radio. We're on Ramatouche Ohlone land, and for more information, go to ramatouche.org, and that's R-A-M-A-Y-T-U-S-H.org. You can donate, as well as learn about the history. And we also have a land acknowledgement tab on our page at weeklyrev.org with uh, more links as well. So please do check out those sites. So I'm going to start off with an article that, uh, I mean, every day there's another reason to dislike cops, right? Am I wrong? No, I'm not. 
Um, I'm one of those people who I would love to be wrong. I would love to be like, oh, wait, I've been wrong about this this entire thing. And I would hope that I would be like, oh, okay, let me, you know, unpack my beliefs and everything and uh, apologize for being wrong. And in this case, uh, every day, I just like this, living with this militarized police force. Also, another great um, documentary I wanted to recommend is called Roller Dreams. And that's also, I'm going to make sure I'm saying that correctly. That was also on Hulu. And it was about roller skating on Venice Beach in like the 80s and early 90s. Yeah, Roller Dreams. It's on uh, Hulu as well. And it was just really well done. And, um, you know, every time something's going well, it seems like uh, militarization of police seems to be one thing that prevents um, positive things from continuing to happen. And just also, I mean, not just that, but also the greed and white supremacy and the idea of gentrification and folks coming over and taking over land and kicking people out and trying to profit off that it's just it's so fucking sickening this is an article that came out on september 8th um from san levin from the guardian uk and there's also a lot of pushback against the guardian um because they're fucking transphobic as hell so i did want to also comment on that um this story aside um says uh Title revealed, LAPD officers told to collect social media data on every civilian they stop. That sounds totally normal, right? <sighs> An internal police chief memo shows employees were directed to use field interview cards, which would then be reviewed. And again, it's like, who are, who are giving them these orders? I have a good friend who has reminded me um it's important to focus one's anger and rage against the folks who are telling the cops what to do in the first place and are hiring them and are funding them <sighs> the los angeles police department has directed its officers to collect the social media information of every civilian they interview including individuals who are not arrested or accused of a crime according to records shared with the guardian Copies of the field interview cards that police complete when they question civilians reveal that LAPD officers are instructed to record a civilian's Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and other social media accounts alongside basic biographical information. An internal memo further shows that the police chief, Mike, uh, Michael Moore, uh, but not the Michael Moore, this is a Michael without the A in, his, in the first name, uh, told employees that it was critical to collect the data for use in quote-unquote investigations, arrests, and prosecutions, and warned that supervisors would review cards to ensure they were complete. Um, how about we uh, review uh, police's? How about their uh, social media? When they're, I mean, uh, let me continue. The documents, which were obtained by the not-for-profit organization the Brennan Center for Justice, have raised concerns about civil liberties and the potential for mass surveillance of civilians without justification. There are real dangers about police having all of this social media identifying information at their fingertips, said Rachel Levinson Waldman, deputy director at the Brennan Center, noting that the information was probably stored in a database that could be used for a wide range of purposes. The Brennan Center conducted a review of 40 other police agencies in the U.S. and was able to find another department that required social media collection on interview cards, though many have not publicly disclosed copies of the cards. The organization also obtained records about the LAPD's social media surveillance technologies, which have raised questions about the monitoring of activist groups, including Black Lives Matter. In 2015, the department added social media accounts as a line on the physical field interview cards, according to a newly unearthed memo from the previous LAPD chief, Charlie Beck, 
similar to a nickname or an alias, a person's online persona or identity used for social media can be highly beneficial to investigations, he wrote. Meanwhile, like, neo-Nazis are, like, flooding the internet with all their fucking hate and, and violence. If they actually fucking cared about, you know, protecting people, they would... They would, you know, know who to go after. Anyway... While the social media collection has gone largely unnoticed, the LAPD's use of field interview cards has prompted controversy. Last October, prosecutors filed criminal charges against three officers in the LAPD's Metro Division, accusing them of using the cards to falsely label civilians as gang members after stopping them. That unit also has a history of stopping black drivers at disproportionately high rates, and according to the LA Times, has more frequently filled out cards for black and Latino residents they stopped. Meanwhile, more than half of the civilians stopped by Metro officers and documented in the cards were not arrested or cited, the Times reported. The fact that a department under scrutiny for racial profiling was also engaged in broad-scale social media account collection is troubling, said Levinson Waldman. Furthermore, when police obtain social media usernames, it opens the doors, door for officers to monitor an individual's connections and quote-unquote friends online, creating additional privacy concerns. It allows for a huge expansion of network surveillance, said Levinson Waldman, noting how police and prosecutors have previously used Facebook photos and likes to make dubious or false allegations of criminal gang activity. Amid Khan of the Stop LAPD Spying Coalition noted that the LAPD also shares data with federal law enforcement agencies through fusion centers and has previously used predictive policing technologies that rely on data collected by officers in the field and which can criminalize communities of color. This is like stop and frisk, he said, of the use of field interview cards. And this is happening with the clear goal of surveillance. The LAPD, he noted, has allowed officers to pose undercover to investigate groups, meaning officers can create fake social, social media accounts to infiltrate groups. Oy. Dr. Melina Abdullah, co-founder of Black Lives Matter LA, said she had long suspected the LAPD conducted targeted tracking of specific groups or individual accounts, but was surprised to learn of the default collection of this information in everyday encounters. She fears this could be part of a massive surveillance operation. The copies of the cards obtained by the Brennan Center also revealed that police are instructed to ask civilians for their social security numbers, whoa, and are advised to tell interviewees that it must be provided under federal law. Kathleen Kim, a Loyola law professor and immigrants' rights expert who previously served on the LA Police Commission, said she was not aware of any law requiring individuals to disclose social security numbers to local police. And she said she was shocked to learn about the social security section on the cards, noting that it was so antithetical to the department's own policies, and clearly violated the spirit of sanctuary laws, which are supposed to prevent officers from asking civilians their immigration status. The LAPD had previously taken steps to ensure it was not requesting place of birth information to improve trust with undocumented communities, she said. The LAPD told The Guardian on Tuesday that the field interview card policy was being updated but declined to provide further details. The revelations of broad social media data collection also raised concerns about how police monitor activists. The Brennan Center obtained LAPD documents related to Geofedia, a private social media monitoring firm that partners with law enforcement and has previously marketed itself as a tool to monitor BLM protests. One internal document, which is updated, oh, excuse me, which is undated, 
but appeared to be several years old, listed the keywords and hashtags that the LAPD appeared to be monitoring throughout Geophedia, and they were almost exclusively related to Black Lives Matter and similar leftist protests. It included hashtag BLMLA, hashtag say her name, Sandra Bland, Tamir Rice, hashtag fuck Donald Trump, and the names of people killed by LA police that prompted major protests. The list did not include any hashtags for right-wing demonstrations and far-right movements, which have grown increasingly violent in recent years in the region. The context in which these search terms were used is unclear from the records provided, and the LAPD did not respond to questions. The city attorney's office said the LAPD stopped using Geophedia around 2017 and that the agency did not have a current list of keywords for social media monitoring. Abdullah, who helped organize around many of the hashtags the LAPD was monitoring, noted that BLM's actions were nonviolent. They're following black protesters who are organizing to stop violence and saying, stop killing us, and, uh, and are... And are they turning a blind eye to those who are actually violent, the white supremacist organizations that are growing in number? In a 2016 memo to LAPD included in the records, another social media tracking company, Data Miner, and that's data, that's a miner without the E, listed under success stories, it's tracking of a BLMLA protest outside a jail, saying the firm uncovered the first images of people at the protest, as well as its tracking of a protest featuring a giant blow-up statue of Trump. The local news site, LA Taco, reported last week that LAPD has used data miner to monitor last year's BLM protests for George Floyd. Jacinta Gonzalez, uh, an organizer with the advocacy group Mijente, and Jacinta's been a guest on the show um, um, two years ago, um, said the LAPD records appeared to fill a pattern of how police in America respond to protest organizations. There's a long history of law enforcement using surveillance, whether in person or through digital technologies to attack black and Latino movements fighting for racial justice. The Brennan Center's records further revealed the LAPD is now seeking to use technology from a new company, Media Sonar, which also attracts social media for police. Fuck them. And if you're working for any of these companies, go seriously quit your job. That's the, that's the best case scenario. I mean, just leave. In the 2021 budget, the LAPD allotted $73,000 to purchase media sonar software to help the department address a potential threat or incident before it, its occurrence. The extent of the LAPD's media sonar use is unclear, but the company's communications with the LAPD have raised questions. In one message, the firm said its services can be used to stay on top of drug-slash-gang-slash-weapon slang keywords and hashtags, Levinson Waldman said. He feared the company or police would misinterpret quote-unquote slang or lack proper context on local groups and language, and she noted research showing that online threats made by gang-affiliated groups largely don't escalate to violence. Media Sonar also told the LAPD it's, it offers pre-built keyword groups to help jumpstart implementation of threat models and helps police cast a wide net. Ugh. The firm also said it would provide a full digital snapshot of an individual's online presence, including all related personas and connections. The messages from Media Sonar suggested that the department needed significant safeguards to ensure that keywords didn't dis disparately target marginalized communities and checks to ensure the data was accurate, Levinson Waldman said. Records show that the LAPD has requested federal funding for Media Sonar for quote unquote terrorism prevention. Aren't the police the ones who are going around killing people? All right. 
Ugh, but some advocates are concerned it would be used for protests. In March, <coughs> excuse me. In March, a city council report analyzing the LAPD's response to BLM protests recommended the department purchase software to analyze social media content. Media Sonar did not respond to inquiries about its relationship with the LAPD. The LAPD did not respond to requests for comment about Media Sonar. Oof. So again, this article is from uh, Sam Levin from The Guardian UK, and we'll be posting a link to this on our website over at weeklyrev.org. I'm going to sip some water, uh, rest my voice a bit, and let's listen to some more music. So this is a song called Galacticana by Strand of Oaks.
that was Love is the Law by the Suburbs. Before that, we heard Silly Girl by the Descendants. And before that, Aaron Vokes with Black Decana. Coming up next, uh, I'm going to stay on the same theme. And it's a thread, a very helpful thread I read recently on Twitter from Alec Caracatasanis. Really? This is what happens when uh, one doesn't uh, edit their shows. You get to hear me try out names and uh, sometimes mispronounce them. Alec Caracatsanis. I didn't think it was going to be that rough. My apologies. Anyway, um, really informative uh, person to follow on Twitter. You can follow Alec at, at Equality Alec. Updated thread. You're going to hear a lot about how cops need more resources because crime is surging, and that's in quotation marks, in the next few months. It's propaganda, and here's how you can respond. So this is super helpful because uh, I find it's just, uh, there's so much misinformation out there, and it's really helpful to have, if you're able to to respond to the, the lies, um, it's helpful to have ways to do so. And this thread came out on August 4th of this year, and I'll also share... Uh, a link to this on our page. First, what constitutes a crime is determined by people in power who have a lot of money. And let's see. And, there's, and then there's a link to another thread. And the first part of that is a few thoughts about crime. Uh, the concept of crime is created and manipulated by people who have power. Throughout U.S. history, powerful people have defined crime in ways that benefit wealthy people and white people. The next uh, second, the cops manipulate crime stats for political reasons. Cops don't even count the violent and sexual crimes that cops commit, which would entirely reverse the crime stats in every city and state. If all the crimes committed by police and jail slash prison guards was counted, it would completely change police crime stats that these experts, and experts in quotation marks, uh, regurgitate in the media to support police propaganda. Third, Police ignore most quote-unquote crime. They only look for some crime committed by some people in some places. A school fight in a poor neighborhood is recorded as a crime, but a fight in a wealthy private school is not. And then there's the post. Uh, read hundreds of examples here. And let's click on this link here. This is one of those threads that there's so many different links and there's so many uh, paths to go down, and this links to an article from the Yale Law Journal, The Punishment Bureaucracy, How to Think About Criminal Justice Reform, and this was written in March of 2019, and it uh, looks like a lot of, uh, many of many quotes, and it's a very long article here, but I recommend checking that out, and that's also linked in our thread here. Fourth, Police have incentives to focus on some crimes, and again, crimes is in quotation marks, and not others. They make billions of dollars in overtime for low-level arrests. This is one reason cops have ignored hundreds of thousands of untested rape kits while making record, record drug arrests for decades. And then there's a link to uh, an article by Corey Rayburn Young, uh, How to Lie with Rape Statistics, from the... Iowa Law Review. Fifth, police corruption in search of extra cash and weapons affects all of what cops do and what they tell us about what they do. For example, police take more property through civil forfeiture than all property crimes combined. I want to, I, in my alternate 
in an alternate universe, um, I've got nothing against wheat pasting. I feel like I, I just should get my shit together and do it and or get some folks together to do it. But I feel like so many of these great pieces of information would be great just to like, put them around the city on walls just so like folks can like see them and just see the truth of what's out there as opposed to like the lies that are just oftentimes printed in the paper and and discussed everywhere. But yeah, that's uh, I think that's a really important one to uh, comment on. And if you get sucked into any of those Twitter threads about having to how police are helpful, you can say how they actually cause uh, more more theft than anyone else. Take more property through civil forfeiture than all property crimes combined. Yeah. Ugh. Sixth. Only 4% of all cop time goes to what they call quote-unquote violent crime, and cops are terrible at solving quote-unquote violent crime. Overwhelming evidence establishes that cops in prisons actually increase future crime, so cops are terrible at preventing harm. And then they provide a link of how do police actually spend their time. The New York Times. Seventh, what cops call quote-unquote crime is different from what causes harm. For example... Tobacco kills 480,000 people every year in the U.S., including 41,000 from secondhand smoke. These preventable deaths dwarf police-related data on deaths from the drugs cops call crime. Eight. Eighth. The same is true of water and air pollution for fraudulent and fraudulent home foreclosures, all of which cause huge death rates that kill far more people than what cops call homicides. Ninth. Wage theft, that's a big one. Wage theft by employers isn't in crime stats because it's almost never investigated by cops, but it costs low-wage workers an estimated $50 billion a year, dwarfing the cost of all cop-reported robberies, burglaries, larcenies, and car thefts combined. Tenth, did you know that rich banks make about as much in fraudulent overdraft fees as all of what police call property crime combined in the U.S. Did you know that none of this makes it into police property crime statistics? And then there's a link from prospect.org. Big banks charge millions, billions, excuse me, billions in overdraft fees. Let me finish. Let me click on this so I can finish reading the headline. Big banks charged billions in overdraft fees during the worst months of the pandemic. That was from April of 2021 by Alexander Salmon, S-A-M-M-O-N from uh, American, the American prospect. Oof. Next, 11th. There are millions of yearly white-collar crimes by big corporations and the wealthy people who own them, but police don't put them in their crime stats. Read more here about why cops distort the concepts of crime and actual harm. And then there's a link to an article from currentaffairs.org. Excuse me. And the title is... Why crime isn't the question and police aren't the answer. I may have to read that on the air later. Next. Twelfth. Police will say, but even if crime is politicized, and even if violent crime is actually down in 2021, shootings are up. Well, gun sales are up 40%, and we're in a global pandemic mental health crisis. Murder is a problem, but not one related to more cops. Thirteenth. The initial 2021 trend of more shootings is especially accelerated in places that increase police funding, and almost no city decreased police funding significantly. See a few examples. And then I have another thread here. Fourteenth. Almost all reporting about a crime surge uses low base rates so that percentage 
changes can appear high. An increase of 10 shootings to 12 shootings is reported as a 20% increase. 15th, media often focuses on month-to-month or year-to-year numbers, emphasizing different crimes at different times if one goes up, obscuring larger trends like this. We have among the lowest murders in the last 50 years, and other countries have, with fewer cops have way fewer murders. 16th, cops slash media thus cherry-pick data. The result of this manipulation is one of the big scandals of our time. One of the big scandals of our time. For decades, the public has hugely overestimated crime rates. And then there's a link to this article. Um, many Americans are convinced crime is rising in the U.S. They're wrong. But f- their, fear, their fear makes everyone less safe. And that's from 538, and it was written by Maggie Korth. That's K-O-E-R-T-H. Next, 17th. There is no evidence that cops in prison reduce any crime, especially that they reduce crime, quote-unquote, relative to other alternatives. Think about what could have been done to help people without the trillions of dollars spent on the war on drugs. And then there's a thread about the war on drugs. (sighs) I'd read that, but I'd probably get too angry. As opposed to now, I'm just kind of medium angry. 18th. People telling you to give more cash to cops because of crime don't count the costs, millions of arrests, millions of separated kids, millions of lost jobs, homes, medical appointments, tens of millions of police assaults, hundreds of millions of criminal records. 19th. Those calling for more cash for cops don't tell you that the trillions of dollars spent on police prisons has been used by cops for total surveillance and to infiltrate and crush every single movement for social justice in the past 100 years. And that totally just corresponds to the last article we read. 20th. The, the idea of soaring crime after a few dozen more shootings without reporting, how many people died from unstable housing, lack of access to health care, pollution, or malnutrition is how elites keep us focused on solutions of control and profit and not liberation. Finally, not all human tragedy is preventable, but quite a lot of it is, oh, I feel that, and accepting propaganda on crime and police data about that concept as a proxy for holistic public safety is the original sin of most writing in this topic. Uh, read more uh, at uh, the, the Twitter handle is in, interrupt C-R-I-M, interrupt crim. Uh, and fight back against propaganda that wealthy interests and cop unions are feeding us. And then, oh, um, this person just did the Citations podcast, and, um, ooh, we may have to uh, play that. Let's just do that then. I did have some articles lined up, and I'm also talking a lot, and it's super important to get other people's voices on here. So let's play this. This is episode 142, the summer of anti- Black Lives Matter backlash and how, let's see what the full title is, and how the concept of crime were shaped by the property class. This is a bit long, so let's start playing it and see. What we get here. Hmm. 
For instance, in the New York Times, May 11th, one, quote, shootings and subway attacks put crime at center of any mayor's race. Two weeks later, the New York Times was back, May 21, with this, quote, a year after George Floyd, pressure to add police. And then just a couple days later, May 25th, 2021, CNN had this, quote, defund the police distance as violent the next month, June 24th, 2021, you had Reuters with defying fund police calls Democrat Eric Adams. On July 10th, the Washington Post ran an opinion piece by Professor Raymond J. Laraja with the headline, The New York Mayoral Primary is a Reminder. Voters are in it. It talks about, quote unquote, coalition that Democratic primary frontrunner for the royalty, Eric Adams, had assembled, which it called reminiscent of, quote, old alliance. The article kind of makes the faux populist that so-called real and, quote, unquote, less educated want tough on crime, unlike, of course, hippie Dick, progressive left. And the article says this about Democratic Adams says Adams quote reminded us make up most of the party different parties than notably on major issues election poll of likely showed that fear of crime weighed much more heavily on the mind of less yeah so you have this narrative that's emerged. Not only was oh, gun movement still reform. This is that this is sort of a backlash. They're getting now. There's one major problem with this. There is zero evidence in correlation between. Twenty article by Igor Darish details why the argument against the sense is that New York City sponsored police in Apple abolished the police protest, ultimately cut just eight million dollars from the budget while leaving the same number of cops despite nonstop fear mongering from one billion dollar police cut, who was largely criticized by PD. Only a dozen of the roughly eight many of the cities that did cut police budgets blamed revenue shortfalls caused by coronavirus pandemic rather than demonstrating. So when you compare the modest, and I mean very modest, like less than one percent departments increase police, there is zero correlation. There is zero correlation between whether or not Democrats. Obviously, the idea that Criticism of defund or anti-defund or anti-defund backlash is a result of somehow unwinning <laughs> right. or meaningfully reducing prisons. Is Remember total... how there was no police anymore, Adam, after last summer, and now crime went up? Like... Yeah, it's a total fiction. And indeed, the departments that increased the budget, which was most of them, increased the total number of police. Those, of course, all increase in murder as well. Mm-hmm. So there is 
absolutely no connection between those two things. The only connection they can really make is nebulous, demoralizing. The protesters like gave them a sad, and they decided not to like pursue criminals. Quit. Yeah, <laughs> right, they sort of exactly. sat in their car and ate donuts <laughs> instead of because they can't show any connection. So they had to come up with this really rulerish explanation. They canceled the TV, so now actual cops and. Yeah, and so this is very sort of typical of the argument. And so what you had is you had a very brief where really fundamentally reconstructed what public safety but crime prevention during police at crime, what that would look like. You have a bit of a broke of the kind of ideological stuff on crime right now. Prosecutors logic for like five minutes for Nike, CNN, everyone sort of Time Warner. Mm-hmm. NBA, everyone suddenly decided they cared about race. About what? And then it was sort of, okay, let's just kind of all this to charity programs, education funding. Of course, there's nothing to do. Making or, sure that Black Lives Matter is awesome. For some fucking bizarre reason, I guess we wanted to make sure the aliens could see this slogan. Once the mural quotient was hit, they went back to. Right. And then everyone's, including de Blasio, just gave 1,200 more. My opinion, everyone sort of moved on. But we said, oh, no, no, we can have reform, but we're not going to actually do anything. We're going to sort of gesture towards reform. As Eric Adams, to his credit, did, because Eric Adams still was similar to Trump's, and that he sort of would say contradictory things every day. So, but there's a reason why he got the New York Post enforcement, because basically, and so now you have this murder rate going up. Democrats need someone to can't really blame high murder rates in Republicans, so they're going after this. On to on to Eric Adams shows it. Never mind that Philadelphia really aggressive prosecutor Krasner, and never mind that Buffalo elected mayor. Forget all that. This was one election proves that the black I love cops all of a sudden. And of course again depends how you phrase the poll, but sometimes that's true. And there are lots of African Americans in the who like cops, who do want cops. Again for the into the narrative cemented itself. There was an uptick in murder. Any of the defund, any of the black lives substance. That was all dead in the water. Over, gone too far. Classic example of like they never had any power. I mean, this is just like they did this with like a lot of Bernie stuff. Like Bernie would campaign on Medicare for all, and then like. He would lose, and then they or they would lose the primary, and they say this is evidence that that doesn't work. It's like <laughs> that never was policy. That never won anything. It was like these really theoretical. The fund was purely theoretical. They never won an election. They never had any power. Socialism failed because we sanctioned death every socialist country in the global south. Proof that it does not work. Yeah, exactly. exactly. And they're never given a chance to work. All these nascent defund movements left out in the river. Clever accounting. Not really any substantive reconstruction public safety. Some measures, there's some people. The most part, we're exactly where we want. And there's zero correlation. Any meaningful scale, because they're also going after bail. That murder rates are up in cities without any bail reform, which is the vast majority of cities cannot stress this enough, but they need to go after these modest reforms because 
not only for their own failures, justify why they They need to nip it in the bud, as Jordan said. They need to nip any kind of reform movement. An opportunity ally in the West. Or the tough on crime. Or not pro defund. Oh, they blamed, by the way, professional law. No correlation there. It's yeah. a narrative. It has to be true. It doesn't matter what the fucking data says. It has to be the narrative moving forward. We want to talk to our guests about why that's not the case and why these movements are still worth defending, even though it's become unpopular to do. We will now be joined by Alec Karakitsan, founder and executive director of Civil Rights. Alec was a civil rights lawyer and public defender for years in the District of Columbia and the state of Alabama and co-founded the organization Equal Justice Under Law. The author of the book, Usual Cruelty, The Complicity of Lawyers in the Criminal Injustice System. You can follow him on Twitter at QualityAlec. He'll join us in just a moment. Stay with us. Okay, I meant to start that a little bit later, but uh, we'll continue listening because I do feel like this is... So again, we're listening to the Citations Needed Podcast, episode 142. And this came out on August 4th, 2021. And again, we'll post all of our links over on the website at weeklyweb.org. How we sort of generally understand data and review. All this is motherboard just five twenty Allegedly hearing gunshots. Talk about our specifically crime sort of start. I mean, the very notion of what constitutes quote-unquote crime, is determined by powerful people, people who have power in societies across the world and throughout our own history here in this country, have always changed the definition of what is criminal to suit their own interests. A classic example is it didn't used to be criminal to possess marijuana. The marijuana plant was not criminalized until it became useful for very powerful people to give police more discretion to arrest people, and that was associated with a desire by powerful people to give police more tools to track down, cage, arrest, and potentially deport Mexican-American immigrants. The same is true with opium. Powerful people decided to give this police the discretion to arrest people for possessing the opium substance, to give them more power over Chinese-American immigrants. The same is true with cocaine and black Americans. Powerful people decided to make that criminal. It didn't used to be criminal. It was decided to be made criminal precisely so they could give police 
more discretion to surveil and track and arrest and cage and then profit off the labor of black Americans after the Civil War. The same concept is true across the concept of crime. So for example, wagering in the streets over dice is a crime. Who wagers in the streets over dice? Mostly poor people. But wagering over international currencies or the global supply of wheat, not a crime. In fact, people who wager on those things make billions of dollars and have their names on the wings of hospitals and museums. Or housing discrimination, it's not seen as a crime. Or sexual harassment at work, these are things that cause a lot of harm, but that our society has chosen to deal with in a civil context and not a criminal context. Another example might be campaign contributions. Some countries, and, and indeed different times in this country's history, you might consider the current political funding system as bribery, the crime of bribery. We have legalized it in this country. Invading foreign countries, drone strikes, refusing to offer medicine to people or insulin to people who need it, those could all be considered crimes. And at different times and places in our country's history, different things have been crimes, like refusing to give someone an abortion or giving someone an abortion or refusing to join a union or joining a union. I guess the first point I want to make is that so much of what we think of as criminal is actually just political choices made by people in power. I think a second topic we should talk about, though, is that of the things that are criminalized, the police only search for those crimes in some places, mm. some of the time. And the, the way they make decisions over where to look for those crimes is actually even more important. So, for example, wage theft is a crime. Wage theft costs about 50 to $100 billion a year. But who commits wage theft? It's wealthy, large employers, corporations. It's almost never enforced by any police department or prosecutor's office in the country, even though, by conservative estimates, it costs as much money and damage by about a factor of five as all robbery, burglary, larceny, shoplifting, all property crimes combined. And then tax evasion costs about a trillion dollars a year. This is a crime that's committed by wealthy people. It's 20 times the damage of wage theft and about 100 times the damage of all other property crime combined, almost never enforced. Sexual assault laws are almost never enforced, while police gorge themselves on drug arrests, etc. Constantly, all over the country, they left hundreds of thousands of rape kits untested. I could go on and on. Fights in private schools, environmental pollution. There are several million environmental crimes committed every single year by companies and wealthy people in this country. They're never enforced. So I think we have to understand that background context before we have a conversation about it. All that's true. I think some listening may say, okay, prove your point, citations, because we've been talking about crime as a social construct for part of an hour now. You've proved your point. You're all a bunch of high-in-the-sky sort of far-left types, but murder is rather binary. You're either dead or alive. And that murder is not something that murder across cultures has typically been in the Ten Commandments, Hammurabi's Code, whatever, sort of a thing that is universally seen as bad. And that murder is up and murders up a lot. And that this spike of some say 25%, you can debate that, that this is fueling a, or rather it's, I think it's fair to say it is, it is the fuel of a pre-existing narrative that's been around for years. Now there's a sort of, Statistical mm -hmm. reference point they can cling to to push back against George Floyd, Black Lives Matter, fun movement, abolishment within the Democratic Party. I mean, we've been speaking is pretty much the, the premise of this episode. Now, people getting shot in Chicago or Parkland, Florida, that is not a social construct, but as an reality. I want to sort of talk about this new liberal hand wringing about blaming the rise in murders, not on a once in a hundred year pandemic, which Seems like if you looked at the X factor here, that's 
But for the most part, New York Times, Fox, CNN, they're blaming it on modest bail reform, despite as we talk about it at the beginning. But I want to talk about murder and the rise of and what people are blaming that rise on, how we've immediately skipped past messiness of debating how we can deal with that to just asserting that police are better. That your, your arch nemesis, Matt Iglesias, says police are better. German Lopez, police are better. Eric Levitz, police are better. I want, to, I want to talk about that assumption and the current reactionary pushback fueled by murder to the Black Lives Matter. Well, I have, first have to dispute that he's my arch nemesis. I feel like that, that <laughs> the word nemesis conveys that he's coming at me with some kind of um, actual substance and that I'm having trouble <laughs> overcoming. That he's an actual threat. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's such a nonsense thinker, and so much of what he does is just so pathetic. I would hope he wouldn't be a nemesis. Wow. Not even worth your time. This is like the Raul Julia speech from Street Fighter. He's not even, he's, it, to you, it was a Tuesday, but go ahead. He, he's very much worth our time, though, but I don't want to be too flippant. I mean, sure, sure, he sure. communicates to millions of people every single day. And, he's and supposedly shapes the Biden administration's agenda, according to Politico, but go ahead. Yes. Exactly. He's, he's out there spewing just total fabrications and nonsense, and a lot of people listen to him because he is really skirting the line between conventional wisdom and police propaganda very effectively. But I think this is this question about murder is so important. First, let me just say, we have a, a violent society. We have to acknowledge that. There's a lot of violence in our society every single day, not just murder, but our society is full of people harming each other. It's full of structural violence that leads to extraordinary and preventable death every single day. And the reason I do this work and the reason I care about this topic we're talking about right now I think our society's response to this harm is fundamentally flawed in exactly the way you suggest with your question. So let me just first say, if policing made us safer, and if policing prevented murder, we'd be the safest country in the world. No society in modern recorded world history has ever spent so much money on policing, and cages, and prosecutors, and judges, right, and courts. It doesn't make us safer. It doesn't prevent murder. In fact, there is not a single shred of evidence that increased expenditures on police prevent murder. The other thing that I, I want to suggest is that we should care about violence and death much more broadly than the narrow definition of murder that police are concerned with. First of all, police don't, when they're doing the murder stats, they don't count deaths in prison. They don't count deaths by police. They don't include those in the murder rates. And they also don't include all of the people that die from lack of health care, from environmental pollution, from home foreclosures. So when a bank fraudulently forecloses on a home or a landlord illegally kicks people out, we know that that actually is associated with huge increases in death, deaths that actually dwarf the murder statistics that police rely on. And if we have a little bit of an expanded definition of preventable death, rather than the sort of very constrained definition of homicide that police departments report, I think we'd actually start to see a really different discussion about what are some of the solutions to that problem. But make no mistake, there has been increase this year in the number of police reported homicides. And I think it's important that we on the left actually talk about this issue and talk about why things like poverty and mental health care and gun sales and alienation in general from the things that connect us to other human beings and lack of access to art and music and theater and poetry and sort of ways of youth connecting to each other. These are the things that the evidence shows are actually connected to violence. And they're precisely not the things that our society is actually spending billions and billions of dollars on in every single city around the country when we talk about the way that police spend their time. Keep in mind, police only spend 4% of all of their time on what they themselves call violent crime. It's even less on murder. Right. Police have 
almost nothing to do with that issue. When Eric Levitz and Matt Iglesias say the criminology or the sociology is settled, because they don't just say it's like a contested thing. Eric Levitz literally says not a contestable point, that more police reduces crime. By extension, I think they infer murder. What are they citing? What is that study and why is it bullshit? Because this is like now kind of taken for granted in a lot of circles, and I really want to kind of explain why it shouldn't be. I debunked this stuff last year in my piece in Current Affairs called Why Crime Isn't the Question and Police Aren't the Answer. But there are just a few basic points. I mean, number one, they're using terrible data. Number two, the studies are actually quite weak and don't actually support the assertions that Levitz and Iglesias make about them. Number three, and this is probably most important, none of the studies that they cite, which are, are all flawed and weak, even sort of methodologically, none of them actually measure whether... So most of the studies are actually like very short-term studies about flooding a particular area with police and then looking at what the very short-term effect of crime was, right? right. So what they don't measure actually is, hey, when you flood a neighborhood police and arrest people and cage them and send them to prison and, and then separate them from their children, their children grow up without a parent, what are the long-term criminogenic effects on crime? So they don't even look at that. Whereas some of the other broader literature actually tracks whether incarceration leads to more crime in the future and concludes that it does. These short-term place-based studies don't even compare police to other alternatives. So these would be totally consistent with these studies to flood a neighborhood with poets or artists or priests. They don't question whether the people flooding these neighborhoods need to have guns and need to be police officers, right? It could be after school programs, et cetera. And when you look at the other literature on the effectiveness of anti-poverty programs, community-based violence interruption, poetry, theater, music, art, athletic programs for kids, these all have like extremely high effectiveness rates, even on a long-term basis. So there's nothing particularly about the police in any of these studies. And then I think the most disingenuous and kind of fraudulent thing that they do is they use these points to argue for larger police budgets and to argue against reducing the size and power of police. Mm -hmm. They actually use this to argue against replacing police with mental health first responders and things like that. But in fact, because only... 4% of police time is spent on violent crime, 96% of the time is not, you could actually reduce police budgets by 90% and still double the time and attention police give to these very particular strategies that Iglesias and Levitz and others rely on, Mm -hmm. the so-called hot spot policing or emergency responder policing stuff that they contend from these studies actually reduces crime. So what's fascinating is that even the studies that they rely on are entirely consistent with massively defunding extremely large and wasteful and kind of fraudulent police bureaucracy. We could double the amount of police time and attention spent on the tactics that they think score well in their studies and still reduce police by 90%. So in this summer of fear that I think we're seeing, you know, definitely a reactionary pushback to last year's uprisings, other related defund and abolitionist movements, the narrative is going to win, right? Like we can cite all the data we want, but there is a perception. And that perception, helped along, of course, by the media's obsession with when it leads, it leads, is doing all of this kind of narrative work. And so this pushback, this backlash really against movements for justice, movements for less policing, movements for alternatives 